Hello everyone, it's Brian Janikowski, our podcast going out a couple of days earlier this week on Wednesday, January 31st, so if there's any late breaking news on Thursday or Friday, this podcast won't cover it. Anyway, it's Brian Janikowski, I'm Christian Thwaites. I'm Emily Takenberts, and let's get started. So Christian, uh, the market rebounded a little bit today, but over the past two days, Monday and Tuesday, um, we did see a two, two consecutive days of down markets. Um, now... You know, there have been headlines about, you know, kind of doomsday and and what this means for the outlook for this year. But um, I want to get your take on on just the last two days and, and this correction. I think we're long overdue for a correction. We'd had, you know, quite a few days where the market had got up in a straight line. Um, and as you mentioned, I think we had almost over 300 days where there had been no uh back-to-back two-day uh, declines in the S&P. So this is all pretty small. Uh, the correction, I think, is 1.6% over the two days. Wednesday, it bounced up a little bit. Um, you know, the, the, these are not significant moves, really. And, um, you know, we, we, we shouldn't really be using the word correction until mm-hmm. you're sort of seeing 10% or more. All the rest is probably noise. But I think what we're seeing is some profit-taking. Look, you know, if you'd... If you'd thrown a dartboard at the S&P in the last 12 months, you've probably made uh, 15, 20 percent. So I think that um, you know it, at, at this point there's a little bit of profit taking going on. Uh, there was this announcement from the Amazon, Berkshire, Hathaway, and J.P. Morgan triumvirate that they would be looking at you know new ways to improve healthcare. So that was as good a reason as any to sell down healthcare stocks, which uh, which had been very strong in the last uh, two, two, uh, couple of months. So I, I think it's just noise for now. I mean, the fundamentals haven't changed. You know, we've talked before, prices change much more often than facts. Don't confuse the two. And uh, I think for right now, there's just not enough, um, uh, you know, red, red light warnings for me to indicate that this isn't just some, uh, some rebalancing and or profit taking. So no red flags here as of yet. No. Um, so I did want to ask you about that announcement that was made, um, uh, Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and J.P. Morgan, um, about uh, their plans in the healthcare space. What does this mean for the <laughs> space at large? And um, you know, are they legitimately um, perhaps going to look to disrupt the space? I think they are. Look, this is an industry which is ripe for disruption. Uh, I mean, I, whatever your viewpoints are about U.S. healthcare, I don't think anyone would be able to design this from a new looking like it is today, unless you were kind of some insane architect. But uh, so it, it, there's a, there's a lot of monopolies in the market. You know, the three pharmacy benefit managers, Express Scripts, CVS, and United Health, have eighty percent of the pharmacy market. So. I think uh, anyone can come at it from a, from either a technical side or a revamping of the uh, of the uh, sort of business delivery side and, uh, and and make some impact on this. There are a lot of you know um, you know rents economy so you know extra margins in this business which you know probably shouldn't be there if there was a proper competition. And I think you know for the for the three companies involved, look they they employ between them a million people. So if they can reduce <clears throat> probably what, what amounts to something like $1,000 a month per employee in healthcare benefits insurance, even by 10%, you're looking at a very big number for those guys. So 
uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's very thin on the ground, but I did. I I think the market is quite happy with healthcare, but realizes that some of this, some of some parts of this business could be ripe for disruption. And um, you know, whether it's tech or or these sort of older economy people uh, firms, uh, wait, you know, waits to be seen. And what specific areas mm -hmm. of the healthcare industry do you see as especially ripe for disruption? Oh. Um, I mean, it's tempting to say everything. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, w wages are particularly high. Uh, you know, overuse of medical resources, but at the same time, under insurance for for people who you know don't have any or don't qualify. Uh, prescription drugs are very high. Uh, you know, Medicare, which is the single biggest biopharmaceutical products in the world, is by statute not allowed to bargain. Uh, with the uh, suppliers. So, uh, you know, if you're the biggest buyer of something, you'd think you'd have some pricing power, but um, the Congress has prevented them from doing so. So, you know, there's a lot of areas which I think could be uh, could be improved. I mean, we just hear scare stories every, you know, every day about, you know, the, the, the gaps in the healthcare uh, market. Um, so I think, um, yeah, it's been interesting to see how this how this develops. It may It may not be very much, but I think it just shows that the, the market is um, is understands that if someone really takes a full tilt at the healthcare market, it's probably a little bit vulnerable. More to come. Um, so we also saw three new members to the S and P six hundred this week, um, and you had noted in your written blog that there was some interesting trading activity going around um, around these these three um, new members. Can you explain to us what happened? What did you see? And, uh, you know, what does it say about uh, indexes in general? Yeah, well, this is interesting because the S&P announced on Monday night and that when they make index constituent changes, they don't announce it. They, I mean, they announce it, but they don't tell you when it's coming. And they, and they announced that three new companies would be coming into the S&P 600, which is actually our small cap index of choice. We think it's sort of better, better constructed than the Russell 2000. Um, Three, three new changes and three deletions. So, uh, strangely, what they said, and actually this is the way they way they do it, as I confirm when I called them, is they'll they'll mention it on a on a Monday and they'll say that the stocks will come into the index. Some you know, uh, in this case, it was sort of over the next uh, five or six trading days, different dates. So the first thing you open up on your terminal on Tuesday morning is that these three stocks have ripped to the upside because. Everybody knows that there's going to be some very big index buying coming in over the next five or six days. These index funds have to track the index. These are constituent changes. Therefore, they've got to buy them. And you think, gosh, if you know, there's, this is equivalent to you know a very very large fund manager, very large, uh, announcing they're going to buy something next week. So you would obviously front run it. And it seemed odd to us, but they explained that if they do it immediately, then the indexes, uh, you know, will will immediately not not track the index. So I think it's interesting because it, it's really S and P saying our clients are the people who use our index, and that and we've got to cater to their needs. And if it means that you've got this strange market moving activity, uh, then so so be it. I mean, if this was a Non-profit organization, they probably announce it and say it's it's going to happen you know, on the same day that they announce it. But uh, in order to make life easier for the index providers, they they give this lead time. Anyway, it just means that as an index provider, um, that uh, you know, if you hold an index in one of these, uh, if you hold an index fund tracking S and P six hundred, 
the manager will be buying these at elevated prices. Mm -hmm. And it just goes, I think, show that you know indexes are complicated things. People think they're easy, but they're not. And ETFs, you know, do very many strange and complicated things too. They're superficially simple, but they're actually underlyingly quite complex. And I think here you just it really matters what index you track and what provider you use to sort of minimize these types of distortions. And the S&P 500, as well as the S&P 600, um, you know, is our professed uh, or indexes of choice too in terms of small cap um, and the broader market. Um, can you speak to why this is? I mean, you've mentioned a, a kind of quality bias that the S&P has. Can you explain how that works? Yes, I mean, there's nothing inherently uh, wrong about anybody's index uh, provision. Um, so, but the two basic ways is to just take a market cap weighted screen of every stock which is out there and throw in the biggest 500 or the, you know, the biggest, the smallest 2000, which is essentially what Russell does. And S&P goes a couple of steps further. They put a number of quality screens in. For example, they don't allow dual uh, voting class of shares anymore. They, they used to, and that's why companies like McCormick and Berkshire Hathaway and a few others, I think Adobe and maybe about three or four others are in there, but they stopped Snap from coming in. Mm -hmm. So that's one of their restrictions. Another one is that they have to have four, uh, <coughs> I think, consecutive quarters of gap um, accounting um, uh, profits. So, you know, you can't come in with a big pro forma, uh, you know, loss, which means that, you know, Biotechs wouldn't get in there as quickly as they would into Russell 2000, a classic kind of loss-leading companies. Um, and there's a number of other ones they do. Actually, it's quite a long list. So we kind of think that, that with S&P generally, you're getting a quality scrubbed index, which which is, leads to another sort of paradox. You know, you think of index as, as passive management, but the means by which those constituents get into the index is by no means passive. It You know, it, it goes through a committee. It goes through a scrub. That committee, although it's not public to anybody, I bet you looks like any other investment committee around in the industry. They'll decide mm -hmm. what goes in, what goes out. Does it meet the criteria? Is it safe to put in? Uh, if it isn't, what, what should we do about it? So, you know, indexes are themselves just, uh, um, by definition, active. The minute, mm -hmm. just, just by virtue of what goes into them. So it's, again, it's just kind of on, you know, this... This, these uh, examples in the, in the asset management business where uh, kind of superficial simplicity and underlying complexity. Mm -hmm. um, I also want to talk about bonds. Uh, we have seen yields risen um, to about two, 10-year yield, treasury yields rise to about 270 at this point. Um, should we still not be worried about bonds? I think I don't think one needs to be overly worried about bonds. Uh, the ten-year rate has popped up a little bit from about two fifty to two seventy. That just puts it roughly was a year ago, and you know as we mentioned in the in it looks on the graph, you know roughly where it was at sometime in 2010, 2011, and twenty twelve. So we've you know we've hit these peaks several times before, um, and also interesting the thirty-year bond, which you think would be a lot more volatile than the ten-year bond, and in a normal uh, uh, curve. Uh, environment it would be has has actually been less volatile so you can you've got this factor of short-term rates two-year rates popped over two percent solidly but the 10-year and the 30-year haven't moved nearly as much and I think I think what's happening is, is there's a there, there's always technical and seasonal issues with the treasury term treasury market too complicated to go in here but they do exist and um, 
And also, I, I think what's happening has been a sort of a slight uptick in inflation expectations, which makes sense, and it's long overdue. And, and I think those come simply from the fact that we've got a low unemployment rate. We don't know what the output gap is, but it's probably a lot smaller than it was. And we've just thrown on a $1.6 trillion fiscal stimulus into the mix. So, you know, there's probably some likelihood of an uptick inflation to more of a normalized rate, still under 2%, but bigger than it was. And I think what's happened is that the Treasury market has adjusted for that. And then we include in our chart what the real 10-year rate is. You know, so essentially the 10-year rate less uh, a certain mm -hmm. measure of inflation. And that's gone down. So, uh, um, you know, if there's a big inflation expectation, you would expect that right. to go the other way. So, um, yeah, I don't think, you know, <laughs> I certainly don't think that we're looking at any, any, uh, any market where this is going to uh, you know, collapse very suddenly, and I think this this range we're in is we're going to be in there for a while. Last year, one of our uh, kind of enduring themes was that two percent, two percent, two percent world. Do you see that changing? Uh, maybe a little bit. I mean, the GDP number for the fourth quarter came in with a two handle on it, and 2017, despite two strong quarters in the middle of over three, still came in with a two handle on it. We might scratch over over, you know, three for a quarter or two in 2018, and maybe it edges up to the high twos. Uh, and the same with um, with, with the 10-year, uh, and I don't really see inflation breaking through solidly in that. So, yes, I, get, I think the difference is that instead, last year where it was sort of you know, two and a half, two and a half, two and a half, we might be looking at 2.8, 2.8, 2.8. But I, I don't think we're in the three world where we're going to see threes on any of those uh, big numbers. Okay. Um, I also want to talk about uh, the um, the Fed meeting. There was Janet yes. Yellen's last Fed meeting uh, today, and there were rates were were unchanged. Um, just tell us kind of what happened, and um, you know how this caps uh, Yellen's uh, leadership. Well, you know, we've written before, I think, you know, Yellen's done a tremendous job, so did Bernanke before her. Uh, if you kind of be, are very objective about it, measure what she took over in terms of. Uh, unemployment and business confidence and growth, uh, all those numbers are better. She's the first non, first sitting uh, president not to be have their term renewed. Um, so, you know, it was obviously um, not all quarters thought she'd done a, a great job. I think she's mis mistaken in that, but but there we go. So Powell's about to, you know, sit in there. I don't think he's, I think he's going to be a relatively safe pair of hands, safe pair of hands. So in the last Fed meeting that, that Yellen uh, chaired and Powell will be sworn in um, on Monday, February the 5th. Um, it was a slightly more hawkish statement, uh, and, and uh, they, they talked about inflation expecting to move up this year, but hey, it's been so low that anything anything uh, less than a little bit of movement up would, would have been you know pretty obvious now. Uh, the head bends a little bit more hawkish this year just because of the rotation of the voters, and um, so, you know, I think, uh, but they, they would never have risen rates uh, in this meeting because there's no press conference attached to it. So, yeah, we're looking at perhaps another one in, in March and probably the, you know, the, the two, possibly three rate increases for the year. But as, as for now, no big, uh, no big change in course. Great. This is a, a topic, kind of our last topic that we talked a lot about last year. I haven't mentioned it thus far this year, um, or perhaps we have, but... Um, How's wage growth doing? It's been an it was anemic, um, you know, for as far as as we've been doing this podcast. But 
um, you know, how has it how has it started in 2018 or um, ending in 2017, and and do we see uh, any improvement there? Um, the answer is not great and not really. Um, so it's still it's been pretty meager as you as you mentioned. Now, what we've seen is a lot of headlines um, of wage increases, which we saw in the State of the Union, but there is a world of difference between a $1,000 bonus and a $1,000 wage increase. One is totally discretionary, one off, and bonuses tend to get saved, either in debt drawdown or uh, or just straight into savings, it, because it's a one-time event. Um, you know, maybe a little bit gets uh, gets spent, but it's very different from a, from a wage increase. And you know, these companies were very pointed in the fact that these are cash bonuses. And at the same time, quite a lot of them laid off a lot of people as well. Kimberly Clark sort of announced all this and mm -hmm. announced that 10,000 people are leaving. Uh, so I don't think there's going to be, you know, any sort of significant wage growth. I mean, I wish I wish there was, but it's difficult to see that given the demographics and given the position employers are in. So we'll see. Uh, I mean, certainly the Fed believes that the lower unemployment goes, the higher demand for skilled workers, therefore the higher the wages. But that is absolute, and that's the classic Phillips curve trade-off, but that has absolutely not been the pattern for quite a time now. I don't really see why that would change suddenly. we also seen a, a big rundown in personal savings. Uh, you had written that it's the lowest level in 13 years. What does this mean? Well, I just think that, you know, personal consumption and saving uh, income is going up, but what's driving is a rundown in savings. You get this boost in you know, things like retail spending uh, um, uh, and income, but, but you know, rundown and saving has a finite ending. It can actually go below zero because you can borrow against, uh, against, against your assets. But um, I just don't think it's sustainable. So, uh, you know, it could go lower and you'll see still this spending uh, increase as a result of the savings rate going low. But eventually that kind of runs out of gas. And that's where you've got to come back to the uh, the income levels, which you know have to start have to start increasing for the economy really to power ahead. All right. Well, thank you very much, Christian. Thanks to you for listening. And as always, please leave us a review um, with any questions. What works? What doesn't? Uh, it, the feedback means a lot to us. Thank you. It does. Thank you very much, everybody. And uh, here's the disclosure. Please note the discussion of our investment investment strategy, including our research investment process, represents our investment investment strategy. The state of commentary is subject to change without notice. We cannot assure the type of investment discussed in this commentary will form any other investment strategy in the future, nor can guarantee that such investments will present the best or an attractive risk-adjusted investment in the future for general information purposes only. Reference to individual securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell securities. Securities mentioned in this commentary only several successful and unsuccessful investments by us and do not represent all the securities we have purchased or recommended. Although we deem reliable the sources of fiscal and other information referred to in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements on numerical data. Past performance is no indication of future results.